This is the How'd You Get Into That Podcast with Graham Baldwin, episode 49. Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That Podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome to episode 49 of the How'd You Get Into That Podcast. My name is Grant. It is great to have you here with us. Hope you're doing well. Hope you've had a great uh, had a great weekend this past weekend, and uh, hopefully you're looking forward to Halloween this week. Hopefully you've got your costume picked out and uh, you are ready to go. Perhaps maybe you've been wearing the costume already. You didn't even know every day that you go to work, or maybe you're walking around with a smile on your face, even though you're dying inside and you're just ready to get out of there, ready to take the mask off and be who you should be. How's that for a Halloween analogy? That was, uh, that was pretty good. All right, we've got a great episode for you today. Before we get into today's guest, uh, I want to mention to you, we've got two quick things uh, to give you a heads up on. Tomorrow, we are doing October the 29th. Tomorrow, Wednesday, October the 29th. Make sure that, first of all, you are listening to these when they come out. Uh, we, we always give you information of stuff that's going on. Don't want you to miss out on it if you're listening to it weeks or months later. So make sure that you are subscribing with an iTunes or Stitcher or whatever your downloadable app of choice may be. So uh, make sure you do that. But tomorrow, October the 29th, we are doing a free webinar. If you are interested in getting into the world of speaking, if you want to get know, know how to get booked to speak, want to know how to get paid to speak, we're going to be covering all of that tomorrow. Again, that's Wednesday, October 29th. You can register for that at grantbaldwin.com slash webinar. Again, that's grantbaldwin.com slash webinar. Totally free, but make sure that you uh, register for that to reserve your spot. Also, uh, as you may have noticed, the past few weeks, we've done a few different giveaways. I don't know. Maybe we're just getting into the holiday season. I'm feeling generous, feeling gifty. Is gifty even a word? I don't even know if it is. But anyway, we've got another giveaway we are doing just this week. It's going to expire this Friday, so I want you to be a part of it. Don't want you to miss out on it. So I will tell you at the end of the episode what that giveaway is. Uh, so make sure you stick around for that. All right, for today's guest, we got my friend Jordan Harbinger, who uh, runs the website and the podcast, The Art of Charm. Really focuses on teaching men's social skills and really helps develop men in their with their emotional intelligence and helping them build confidence. He started out as a lawyer. Today, he's a it runs this multi-million dollar company, really good dude, and, and so uh, excited to share his journey, especially pay close attention to about the first 15 seconds of the interview here, because I, I did something I have yet to do in any episode. So hope you enjoy that. Let's get into it. Here's Jordan. All right, what's up? Welcome to another episode of... Ah, see, we already butchered that. You got, you got, you got me jacked up there. <laughs> One take. Yes, indeed. Oh, we may even leave this in. All right, what's up? Welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That? Today, we are joined by my friend Jordan Arbinger of The Art of Charm, a uh, delightful dude. Good to have you here, man. How you doing? Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. I think we're going to leave that in. We're just going to roll it. I think you should. It's I really told, funny. I, for the listeners, I told him right before, uh, I don't do any edits. We just do one take. We got to get it right. And uh, so then I butchered the intro there, but we're, we're leaving it in there just to show you how, how raw and real this is. So Jordan from the uh, Art of Charm, give us a, uh, a snapshot on your, on your business. Tell us about what you do. Well, what my company does, The Art of Charm, teaches men confidence and emotional intelligence in a systematic way that anybody can master. So basically, guys will come in. We teach live in L.A. And of course, we have our podcast of the same name, The Art of Charm. Guys fly in from you know Australia, China, Europe, U.S., Canada, wherever, and they take a week-long immersion class, which is everything from reading and projecting good nonverbal communication to persuasion to dealing with difficult people, to dating, to attraction, relationship management, and networking skills. So it's really comprehensive. 
and uh, it's really freaking hard, but people come out the other side with a different understanding of how people relate to each other and how they show up, quote unquote, to other people. It's 60 hours over six days to give you an idea of how like ridiculously intense it is. That's hardcore stuff. So, I mean, it sounds like it's just the overall thing is like it's a really a just shot in the arm and, and confidence and just like yes. self-esteem and self-worth. Like like so many dudes just carry their shoulders low and just like feel like the world's just beat them up or they can't do anything. But it sounds like they come out on the other side feeling like, all right, I got this, you know, whatever that thing may be in the world or life, but just that, that shot of, of confidence. Yes, it's a, essentially it's a confidence school. And it's just hard to say that because people go, ah, this reeks of BS and I don't believe it and you can't teach that, or you're born with that, but the science tells us otherwise. So rather than get into an argument with everybody who wants to make an excuse about why they can't do it, I just say we teach emotional intelligence because people go, ah, that I think I know what fancy. that's us. I think I know what that is even. Well, obviously you didn't come out of school and start doing this and you have kind of a unique journey of how you got into this. You grew up in uh, Michigan, right? I did. Yeah, Michigan. And what did you want to do when you were growing up? I wanted to be a talk show host, which is pretty close to what I'm doing right now. I mean, what, it is what kind of like right you watching Ricky Lake growing up or what, what do you mean talk show? host? Yeah. Go, Jordan. Uh, go, Jordan. Uh, um, <laughs> no, I, I wanted to, I thought radio was really cool, which is kind of funny. Cause like wh- what kid thinks radio is cooler than TV. But I also thought that I had no idea what I wanted to do. And that was something that like, I never really got over. And that always kind of scared me because everybody else was like, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be an engineer. And I was like, I don't know. I don't really think any of those sound that great. And I went to law school and I became a lawyer because it was always a good job. And then I was like, this stinks. And I knew that I was going to have trouble with this. Even from a young age, I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I want to do. And I'm pretty lucky that I got into the entrepreneurship gig because I think I'm the worst employee ever, probably. And uh, I always was. Whenever I worked for anyone else, I was like, this is stupid. These systems are broken. I can do better, but I have no incentive to do so because I get paid hourly. Oh, well, not my business. You know, that was how I thought all the time as a kid working at movie theaters and stuff like that. I remember trying to go for leadership positions and getting blocked by bureaucracy in a movie theater and being like, this (laughs) is... Trying to climb the corporate ladder of the movie theater. I know. Like, can I just be a shift leader? And they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll submit that. And I'm like, what's the deal here? What's the big deal? The people who have this position are like... They're the same age as me. They're almost never even here. This is like insanity. And uh, it didn't make any sense. It really didn't make any sense. It's always, so, it's always interesting, like how looking back as a kid, it's like some of the frustrations or things that you liked or things that you didn't like about life or the world or whatever, like play themselves out long term in life. Like you're just kind of looking back like it's a movie theater frustration with bureaucracy that led me in some ways to do what I do today. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because I remember looking at that business and going, this is a dumb business run by a bunch of rich people who just don't know and don't care about how this business turns out. They probably thought it would be fun and easy. And they showed up like once every other week to yell at people and tell us we weren't doing things the right way and then go out to lunch. So it was, it was, it was pretty nuts. And I remember just thinking like, you know, we're all eating your gummy bears in the stock room and you don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's when you uh, you know you've made it as you get to yeah. uh, steal and eat gummy bears from the movie theater. I remember just feeling sick like at the end of certain shifts because I'd go in there. And eventually, it's funny because eventually they put a video camera in the stock room 
And I, I'm not bragging about being like a thieving young punk employee. I'm just saying like this is me just not knowing what to do and being, you know, 15 years old. They put a video camera in there. So we would go in there and we would act like we were leaving and turn the lights off and then pig out in the dark. And then <laughs> we would just close the door behind us and they'd be like, well, I know it wasn't Jordan because he left. And it's like, nope, I was in there shoveling these things in my face with the complete pitch black darkness around me. Somewhere your mom's really proud of you right now. I know, right? Yeah, somewhere, somewhere I'm just in the wrong business. No, but, you know, going through that and then getting a job on Wall Street and seeing the parallels between being an overpaid finance attorney in the hottest financial market around and being an underpaid movie theater gummy bear scraper, which is basically what you were doing when you weren't eating gummy bears. You were scraping them off something else. There was, there was way too much. Those things had way too much in common. Right. And so I was like, this is, I'm going to run into the exact same problem where I just stop caring. And that, that came much sooner than I thought it would. So whenever you are uh, going through law school, it sounds like that's just kind of, ah, I don't know, I'll just do it for a little while and it just buys us time to figure something out. Or is that is like anybody else telling you like you should go to law school or you're just kind of like, I don't know, I'm just going to, let's just try this and we'll just see what happens. Well, being in college and then not knowing what I wanted to do and people going, that's normal. You have all kinds of time to figure that out. And I was like, I don't know. I'm pretty sure we're here for some sort of like vocational preparation and you know, the college people are like, no, no, you have tons of time. But and I'm not a conspiracy guy, but that's really their agenda is to be like, don't worry about it. Just finish something because you pay us per year. You know what I mean? Right. And they're like, you could go to engineering school. You have good grades, a.k.a. This is even more expensive. You know what I mean? So it became kind of like a really weird system where I kind of knew nobody had my best interests in mind, except for maybe my really awesome counselor who was there, um, like guidance, like whatever you call it, guidance counselor person. Right. And so he let me make my own concentration. And it was kind of this unspoken thing where it was like, listen, I'm not going to get a job in political science. I'm not going to become an economist. So let me just take the classes that I want. And he was cool with that because I wasn't just taking easy ones. I was taking like languages and things that interested me. And so I, I did a bunch of that. And then when I was done with school, I went and, and I went to the University of Michigan. So it wasn't like, I know people are like, oh, well, you couldn't get a job because you went to a crap school. No, I went to Best Buy and I, they were like, yeah, we'll hire you. And I was like, cool, how much does it pay? And they were like, you know, $12 an hour or something. It might not have even been that much in like 19, you know, or two, sorry, 2003. And I was like, well, I can fix computers. In fact, I build computers on the side for people. And they're like, yeah, we're going to start you off in the CD department, like the music department. And I'm like, no one's going to use these things in like two years. And they're like, well, you know about music, right? And I'm like, no. And they're like, ah, it doesn't really matter. People know what they want when they come in. And I'm thinking, I, I'm literally just going to be watching for people who are trying to steal CDs or like showing them where things are in an alphabetized arrangement. That makes no sense at all. So then I, I didn't even take the job. I thought, this is actually a waste of my time. I'm basically movie theater 2.0. So I went and I, I started living abroad. I was like, to hell with this crap. This is a waste of time. My girlfriend at the time was pissed because I was, I basically, she was like, I'm going to be in an Arbor all summer. And I was like, I'm not, I'm leaving. This stinks. So I went and I, I moved to Ukraine for a while and I like lived in another country for a while. And I applied to a bunch of law schools because I thought, why not? And I got a bunch of scholarships 
But University of Michigan was the one where I didn't get a scholarship. But every every lawyer I knew was like, you got to go. It's such a good school. It's one of the top 10 law schools. You can't turn down admission to the University of Michigan Law School. It's dumb. When you get out of there, you're going to have a job that pays six figures. So I said, all right, cool. So I, I went to Michigan after killing a year abroad as an English teacher. And I went there and I thought, oh, um, this is all right. You know, everybody's really smart. It's kind of fun. You know, there's no more dumbasses around. And, and that, was, that was good because when you're younger, you're like surrounded by just whoever's around you based on the random selection of school administration. Right. This was probably, in college, is sort of like that, but at University of Michigan's so big, there's plenty of everybody and you can get in because your friend knows somebody, blah, blah, blah. University of Michigan Law School is a little bit trickier, so at least everybody was pretty smart. And that was energizing. But then when I got, I got a job on, on Wall Street and I thought, this is awesome. Like, I'm going to be making... $13,000 a month to start plus a bonus. This is more money than my parents made put together at the peak of their careers. This is great. I, I, I can't go wrong. So the first summer I was there at this law firm as a summer associate, and then you go back to law school after that. It's like an internship where they wine and dine you. My mentor, quote unquote mentor, was never there. And he was this guy who was known to make more money than everyone else. And everybody thought he was cool. He was like the guy. And he was supposed to be my mentor. And all these other people were going out to lunch with their mentors and dinner with their mentors and doing work with their mentors. My mentor was never around. So I was kind of like, this sucks. So HR made him take me out for coffee <laughs> as like a mentor-mentee coffee thing. It was such BS. But he, he took me out and he's like, yeah, yeah, ask me whatever you want. And I was like, I don't even care about this job. So here goes. How come you're never around, but everyone says you make more money? And I just thought, because, hey, you know what? Worst case scenario, I get a real answer, you know? Right. And so he told me that what he does is generate business for the firm all day while everybody else, these other attorneys, they stay in and bill hours. And what that means is, because attorneys bill hours, they're ba you're basically hourly again, right? If you're a partner at a law firm, you might be billing $800 an hour instead of $8 an hour like you do at a movie theater, but you are still billing hourly. And whoops, my cat is about to eat an electrical wire. Hold on a second. You hate those cats. We uh, we talked about this offline. That's yeah. why you, you got to get a dog. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially the mentors, he's the rainmaker. He's the rainmaker, yeah. And that term is funny because it's kind of like D-baggy, but yeah, that's exactly what he did. So I thought, this is really, really interesting because people don't really think about this kind of thing. And this is obviously where the real money is. And so he's like, yeah, I get commissioned from the firm every time I bring in a client. And this guy was from Brooklyn, he had a tan, and I thought, wait a second, so let me get this straight. The other guys, I, and I had gotten that job through like a, a friend of a friend, knew somebody, slipped my resume into a pile, got me an interview, got a job in like 24 hours. You know, that was how I got my first Wall Street top market job. Yeah. And so I thought, oh, cool, it's all about who you know, and I got hooked up this time. And then I noticed that at the highest levels, because I would walk in, I remember one time I, I was bringing a girl out, I was in Manhattan, I had a date. I went back and I was walking past my midtown Manhattan law firm, law office, and I was like, let's go up and check out my office. And she's like, okay, right? I'm thinking no one's going to be there I'm, except for a security guy. I can, be, you know, I can go up and show her like how baller my office is. So we go in there and every, all the partners are there. And I'm like, what? Are they, are they closing a deal? And it's like, nope, just another day, just another Saturday night for a law partner on Wall Street. That's crazy. Working, working hours at one o'clock in the morning. That scared me. And so I told him, I was like, There's, these guys are in there on the weekends, and I know it's not just that weekend. And he goes, yeah, their best value, 
when you're billing hours, if you bill $800 an hour, $600 an hour, your best value to the firm is to be in there working as much as humanly possible. And I thought, oh, wait a minute. Okay, so if you want to get your bonus and you want to keep partner and you want to make partner if you're not already, your best bet is to work more than anybody else, sacrifice everything. But if you're Dave, the guy who hired me, your best use of time is to say, tack with billable hours, not worry about it, maybe not get your billable hour bonus, but get 10 times that by bringing in new business and do most of your work on the golf course at the jujitsu thing where he was always hanging out and in different whatever, like bars, clubs, lunches. I mean, this guy was like always hanging out with somebody. That He's was just building relationships. Just building relationships. That was his job was he was the cool guy that everybody liked. So the firm had no, he was useful in the firm. Sure, he billed $800 an hour like everybody else, but it didn't matter because he probably had to build 10% as much time as everybody else. The idea was all of these Lehman Brothers and whatever investment banker, Bear Stearns guys were like, hey, Dave, we're doing a real estate deal. You want it? Cool, man. Let's go play some squash. Let's work on our <laughs> double leg, you know, whatever, takedowns. You know, stuff like that, whatever. Let's go golfing. Let's go on a cruise. And he was always gone. I mean, I'm, when I sit over in the office, I mean, I saw this guy like once a month. And he would send emails from his BlackBerry like, hey, let's make sure this is all in order for tomorrow. And some senior, senior associate just below partner would like do the roundup that I normally saw the partners doing. So, and so, so when you was, do like when you do the, the, the forced coffee with him and you kind of get a sense of what he's doing, are you feeling like, OK, I want that job? Or are you just like, I just need out of here completely? Yeah, I saw that and I thought, that's what I want to do. If I'm going to learn technical skills on the job, which is where you learn them, like I don't want to only be a technically skilled person because there are people in this office that are, they don't care. They have no life. Their whole purpose of existence is to make money, is to make partner at this firm, is to dedicate all of their life to that. There are different ethnicities and stuff that don't value their time with their wife or whatever personal having a life that's like not a consideration that people have and I was like this is awful I'm not going to ever be able to outcompete them it's all it all comes down to hours they're all just really shiny cogs in a machine and Dave was the engine so I thought I need to be the next Dave so the I engine, started yeah. I started working on my networking skills and the way that I did that was I read every book about networking and it was all really cheesy in a lot of ways. And there was a lot of cool stuff like Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people and stuff yep. like that. And that stuff was great. But I even took a Carnegie class and I was like, look people in the eye when you shake hands. What? I mean, that's not how pe that's not how this works. I know lots of people that are, that everyone loves and there's way, there's more to it. I just don't know exactly what it is. Like, what is it with this guy? One of my good friends, Tim, he was one of these guys that everybody loved. And, and I didn't like him because everybody loved him. And I was jealous, you know, in law school. And sure. he's one of my best friends now, actually, which is funny. But, you know, I just thought, like, what's the deal? He doesn't just shake your hand and look it in the eye. He doesn't speak slowly when he introduces himself. That's what they teach you at Dale Carnegie. He's, yeah, he's a good speaker, but he's kind of, like, funny. And he knows how to break tension. He's got this different level of social intelligence that I did not have. He's got charm. He's got charm. Dang it. And so I was like... I need to learn how to do that because this is these are people that get hired at the top level and have really great jobs. Tim works at Google now in their legal department after busting his tail on Wall Street for a while. And so I knew that I was not only not cut out for technical sit in your office all day law, but 
I was not cut out for law at all because I didn't care at, at all about it. So I started learning all these networking skills, started learning all these dating skills from my business partner, AJ, who's really good at the opposite sex. And we started developing a curriculum for this. And we developed the Art of Charm podcast and we started doing that. And if, at that time, it was just like, hey, this stuff is really helping us. Let's give it away for free and interview other experts. And as we started to meet some of these quote unquote experts in real life, we realized that they were just like really clever marketers and they were weird as heck in real life. And a lot of the people who are teaching networking and dating and all that stuff, it's uh, largely it's a sham. They're just really clever marketers. They sell diet pills. They sell dating stuff. They sell you know, weight law. I mean, anything that you can imagine, a lot of these guys just sell it online. There's very few people who know what they're doing that we're giving away information for free. So we became that voice because we were learning it along with the listener. So whenever you are starting to pick up some of these things, are you feeling like this is just kind of a hobby? Like we're just kind of like, this is going to help us build yeah. our own career? Or is exactly. it more like, no, no, I think there's enough guys here that are lacking in this department that we may have something here. It was a hobby, plain and simple in the beginning. We started the show in 2006, 2007. It was like December 2006, so it doesn't really count, right? And we started to put these shows up and it was cool and people were downloading it and we thought, okay, this is great. It's all about, it was all about dating at that time because it was more fun to discuss that when you're 25 or 26 than anything else. And so we're talking about all this stuff and our learning process and it was fun. It was a fun thing to do like this radio show podcast and have people write into us from all over the world. And then people started to be like, hey, I want your help with something. And we're like, well, we're not coaches. And they're like, yeah, I know, but I've tried all of the other coaches and they're either shysters or they like give me this weird stuff where they're like, oh, you got to be rude and dress up like a clown. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Oh, don't listen to those guys. Those guys are weird, you know? And, and so we started getting calls from normal people, like a guy who was in Denmark who was from Ethiopia. And he's like, I'm having trouble assimilating and making friends. And so we helped him assimilate and make friends by giving him social exercises that we were doing to get more comfortable with people. And he's like, this is really, really great. We had a mortgage banker in California call and say, I am absolutely stinking rich and I don't have any real friends. Why? And we helped him figure that out. And he thanked us in lot, in, with large amounts of money. And currency. And currency. And we had people saying things like, I want to learn from you guys in person and flying to Michigan to hang out with us at friggin' shopping malls and like go talk to girls and like make friends with people in the streets and and we had people that were following us around at night because we went out every single night that were like, how come you guys never wait in line? You never pay for anything. All this food's free. You can get food after the kitchen closes. Like, what's the deal? And we're like, well, we're doing all this different stuff to like make this happen on purpose. It's not, we don't own the venue. We're not, it's not accidental because we're cool with the chef. We became cool with the chef. It was a system. So people were like, write a book, write a book, write a book. And that's why we started the podcast, right? because we weren't going to write a book. I was studying for the bar exam and AJ was a cancer biologist at that time. So that wasn't going to happen. And so we kept doing this. And then I moved to New York to work on Wall Street because I got a full-time job on Wall Street because apparently I didn't learn the first time. And Go back for more. I had to go back for more. And people were like, hey, Jordan, I want to give you 5,000 bucks to hang out with you for the week. I'm from Canada. And I'm like, that's cool, but I work 12 hours a day. So you're not going to get anything out of that. So I hired coaches to work at the Art of Charm full time and teach what AJ and I and these coaches later had developed as a curriculum. 
to teach these guys how to do this and while I was at work. And then eventually, of course, I was like, why am I working this crummy job that I hate when everybody else is having a blast running my business in my house? Right, This right. doesn't make any sense. So... Let, let me ask you this, because it sounds like you know, you're know you taking some of these skills that I would assume to you, to AJ, to others, just kind of come natural. Like you can just be charismatic. You can be the life of the party. And it's not like one of those things where like you're, yeah, there's a system to it. And yeah, you're like thinking about it. But at the same time, some of it is just, whether it's DNA or whatever it is, it just comes easy and natural. So how do you kind of reverse engineer some of those skills that just come easy to you? Because I'm thinking about people that maybe listen to this and they're like, man, I've got this skill set. People are always asking me, how do I do it? For like, I think of speaking for me, people are like, how do you, how do you become a good speaker? It's like, I don't know. Like I just, you speak a lot and then you get better, you know? Yeah. Now, obviously there's a system to it, but sometimes it's just difficult for us to see what's always come easy to us. So how do you guys create a system to teach others about the skill that just is second nature to you? Right. And, and that's a great question because that's the trick, right? <laughs> or the non-trick. Because you get these people that are like, well, you know, you're born with that or you're not. And it's like, no, that's what it looks like to you because you either do or don't have it. And it's really easy to say that because, you know, you go, well, there were kids in even elementary school that were cool and that everyone liked. And it's like, yeah, they had an environment around them that fostered that and everybody else was thinking too hard about it. And that's why a lot of the, the young guys who are really cool when literally in middle school and elementary school they were impulsive people that didn't think before they acted, which later on in life gets you in deep trouble. But when you're a kid, is great because you don't think, I have to be a good boy. You're just the funny, fun guy that everybody thinks is hilarious because you don't, you have impulse control issues, right. right? And then when you're older, it's the guy that decides, I don't care if these people really like me, but actually means it and isn't one of those like, I'm going to rebel and not give a rat's butt. And then is like a jerk to everybody. They're the guys who are like, just fun. They don't take things too seriously, especially themselves. And there's all kinds of different patterns that you can see, but you can't necessarily emulate. So it looks like you have it or you don't, but nothing could be further from the truth. And so you have to break down what other people are doing. And that's, that's the very non-sexy part of the job is we spend a lot of time. And I mean, hours pouring over videotape, reading books, interviewing people who are successful and saying, what is it that you're doing this way? And they're, and you might talk to somebody about business and they go, you know, you just like get out there and you just hustle and you go, great, what does that mean? Right. What are you doing right now that you consider hustling? And you get these really strange sort of aha moments, even for the person telling you, where they're like, you know, you just go out there and get business. You write the business. And I'm like, that's great. You're a multi-million dollar salesman. How do you just go out there and write the business? Where are you going? oh, I'm going to the, this country club. It's exclusive and da, da, da. Wait, stop right there. How do you get in there? Oh, well, you know, I know this guy that used to work for this guy and he's friends with my dad's friend and I knew he was a member there and you need sponsors. Okay, so you asked him, well, no, you shouldn't do that. You got to prove that you're going to be a good company in there. Okay, and you just keep backing up, backing up, backing up until you find out how you get a membership to an exclusive country club where everybody's in the industry that you're targeting because you're the sales guy that da 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 da. And then how do you persuade them without looking like you're trying to be a sales guy with having an agenda in mind, but without being salesy and pushy and da da da. And in most people who are really good at that stuff naturally, they have no idea. They just go, yeah, I just got a membership at this really exclusive country club. I walk in there, I play golf with everybody, and then, you know, I'm whenever they need missiles, they buy them from me or whatever. I'm looking at a North Korean propaganda poster. So there's where <laughs> missiles came from. But you know what I'm saying? And people who are really good at that naturally, quote unquote, or developed it over time through tons of trial and error, 
they can't necessarily back it up. I mean, I don't mean back it up as in walk the walk. I mean, back it up as in rewind and go, hey, person who's never done this before. Right. What you need to do is work on your speaking and your vocal tonality because you're coming across as shy. Because those guys' real advice, if you just ask them, is, you know, come on, boy, talk louder like you mean it. Be confident with it. And, and the guy goes, okay, be confident. What the hell does that mean? Doesn't that help doesn't me. mean anything. Right. Yeah, be confident. Oh, gee, I wish I'd done that for the last 30 years of my life. Things would have shaken out differently. It sounds right? like, like a big thing is just like being insanely curious. Like what, anything that you look at in the world are successful people or businesses or employer or whatever. It's like that didn't just magically happen one day. So what was step A, step B, step C? How did you get from here to there? And ultimately, I mean, that's what, we're, what we try to do with this show is just how people, a lot of times we look at where someone is in, at Z. Someone's at, they're at the end of the magical rainbow. They've arrived. They're doing something cool. They've got a sexy gig. Life is good. But then it's like, no, no, you don't just magically end up there because you clicked your heels together and all of a sudden it worked out. Like, what right. were the steps you took to get there? Because we were all at that point where it's like, man, I'm, you know, whether I'm in proverbial law school and hating my life and trying to figure out how to get out and seeing the path that I'm on and where it's going and playing out and this is not what I want to be on. I just have no idea how I get out of this and get over there. And so some of it, like you said, is just being insanely curious and just going, okay, you didn't just magically end up there. So what were the steps that you took? And then being able to not only like learn from your own skills, but being able to learn from the skills of others and just picking their brain and figuring out how did this actually happen for you? Exactly. Yeah. That one of the best skills I developed was the ability to sort of tactfully push people into telling me exactly what I need to do. Because otherwise people get, they either get lazy or they don't know. And you have to guide people through this process. And it's actually funny because it's the talk show host process where you're interviewing somebody. And I do this in real life too. And they go, man, you're pretty, you know, talkative or you're pretty curious. And I'm like, oh, I'm a talk show host by nature. And we have a laugh about it. But really I'm kind of like, no, I'm a talk show host so I can get away with crap like this. Really, how did you make $12 million last year selling XYZ? I want to know, where does the business come from? How do you market it? Who do you hire? How do you hire those people? Why do you think these things are more important than these things? How do you invest your money? And there, it's not weird because I'm genuinely asking for, I can sort of justify it. And if I was just a normal dinner party guy, they might be like, this guy's a little pushy with the Borderline stalkerish. Yeah, but I can do it because I'm like, oh, sorry. I, I can even preface a question that's highly personal with, sorry, this is the talk show host and me coming out here, but why did you decide to spend $3 million on this when to the, outwardly it looks really frivolous? And it's like, oh, well, actually, and then you get like this really honest answer. And, and if you don't get an honest answer, you can say, you know, pardon me, but that just sounds like, it almost sounds like you just made that up. Is that really why, or is it this, this, and this, and this? Because some people might say that you bought it just so you can look good to others, and it's like, well, there's a little bit of that, but, you know, the truth is this part's important because of A, B, and C. And you go, wow, I never would have thought of that. And, I, and you got to be able to ask those tough questions because a lot of times people will go, how do you become you know, a lawyer or something like that at a top firm. And it's like, oh, well, you work really hard and then one day you'll be, oh, no, that's not true. You can work really hard and you can end up with absolutely nothing. Ask any of the partners at the firm I used to work for because it's since gone out of business. The only guy that landed on his feet was Dave, the guy who worked, uh, never worked in the, the Rainmaker because he took his book of business, walked into another firm, said, look, out, look what I've got in my Rolodex. They hired him as a partner. It took very little time. Everybody else either retired early or started off several rungs lower on a ladder at a different firm that said, hey, bastard children who weren't loyal here from the beginning and definitely are never going to make partner because 
they don't have the network and relationships that that are needed to to make partner at a firm, or they just have to work a really long time. So those guys all took a bath, yeah. except for him. He probably got a raise. And so what that changed the way that I look at work forever because I realized even at the top levels of every of of like Wall Street finance, which at the time was like the top of business for me, it's all about who you know. And I knew that getting the job was about who I knew. So I was like, wait a minute, that never changes. So the best ROI that you can have, according to that observation, is really good networking and really good people skills. And the technical skills are, are secondary at every single level of the game. Right. And that was a massive mind explosion because most of the, the people that I was around were working really hard, billing hours, staying late. And I was like, no, I'm going to go to where I know the partners are having happy hour and I am going to kick it and I'm going to sit there and, you know, talk business with them. And if they have a problem with it, they can fire me because I don't care about this job. I'd rather hear the inside scoop from people. So I took a lot of risks and the other guys were risk averse. They didn't even want, they didn't, they would, there were people who would sit at that law firm until every partner left, even if they had no work. And I'm talking five hours a day extra surfing the web. Right. I mean, just cause they didn't want to look like they were leaving early. I was out of there the second my work was done. How did you make that? How'd you make that transition from law? Because you're uh, not only uh, in deep in terms of your your time commitment and all the education that you've got up until this point, and you've spent tens of thousands of dollars to get to this point. I think a lot of people they just feel trapped. Like I can't get out of this. Like I've spent, I've invested too much. I'm in too deep. Why would I pull the ripcord now to go a completely different direction? So how did you make that not only like physical but just mental leap of going from like, all right, I'm done with the law stuff. I'm leaving that behind. I've got this art of charm thing that's starting to gain some legs, gain some traction. So let's let's pivot and go this totally different direction, which seemingly on the outside looking in is just unrelated to what all my education and knowledge and skill set is up until this point. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was kind of like, and pardon me if I answer the wrong question. I'm really good at that. But for me, I was over the law thing from the beginning. Right. And so the fact that people were asking the art of charm for business was really awesome. We were like, you know, we're not quite there yet. I was investing tons of my money because I was getting paid Wall Street salary. So I was living on less and just paying other people to like work there. And it was not the wisest business decision, but I was not risk averse at all. I was really bullish. And so I just figured this is either going to fail or it's not, but it's fun. You only live once and, you know, I don't know what I want to do. So this is definitely the most attractive option right now. And so I just kept do, I kept working really hard and funneling money into it. And we, we succeeded in spite of ourselves because we hired a bunch of idiots and bad, you know, service providers and wasted lots of money and overspent on dumb things, just st- things that young people do in business. But we managed to survive because we were providing a lot of value in our programs and, and also through the podcast, the Art of Charm podcast as well. And so people, you know, we, we were able to stay afloat, but now, now that it's a real business, there's a lot, there's a lot of things I would do differently, of course, but we didn't get paid very much for a really long time, but we were having so much fun that we didn't care. Like there was, I, I just recently did my taxes. I had an extension and we got a new accountant. And so the accountant was like, can I, can you send me a return for 2011, 2012, 2013? Uh, and you might as well send 2010 while you're at it. In 2010, I made $24,000. Nice. And <laughs> in the interest of like tactfulness, and, and it, I won't say what I make now, but I will say that I can buy, I never think about money now. Like I don't have to worry about it at all. And 
I would say that each year I make way more than both of my parents combined at the peak of their careers every few months. And I don't have to worry about anything. And things are only on the upswing. And, and it's funny because my accountant was like, huh? How did you make 24 and then you made like 64 and then you made this much? Like, this is insane. You know, and you're and a drug it, dealer on the it, side. Yeah, yeah. It really looked ridiculous. And, and our old accountant were, was like, you guys are 100% honest. This is what you're doing. We're like, here are the books for the company. And they were like, he was like, holy cow, you guys are going to get audited because there's <laughs> no way that it just looks like a tech company, but there's no investors. It's a front. You know? It's a front for something. Yeah, it, he's like, this looks really sketchy. He's like, you know, when the IRS asks, what are you going to say? Guys fly in from all over the world, and they they come to learn this skill set from you, and then they and they go out a bunch, and they stay at your place, and then they fly back to their respective homes, and they stay in touch with you for several years working on this, like, and they pay you for this, and they pay you how much for this, and this just doesn't make sense, and it all comes from what a podcast. How does that make sense? And it's just there's too many things that don't make a ton of sense. And he's like, you're definitely going to get audited. Look at these numbers. There's no, there's just no way. And I think there's a great lesson there that you, again, you, you fast forward, you look at it now and you're like, yeah, stepping, and out, stepping back and kind of looking at it, you're like, man, this is crazy. Like, this is how I make my living of uh, teaching men confidence, you know, and this is not something I went to school for. This is totally unrelated, but have been able to make that connection and bridge that gap to pe- teach men this real need, this subset of, of just, um, or just the skill set that so many guys are lacking in uh, the area of confidence. So really good stuff, man. Hey, if people want to check out the podcast, uh, I know we were recently on the show on uh, episode 318. Uh, so people need to check that out. Uh, but where can people go to find out more uh, about who you guys are and what you do? I would say just check out the Art of Charm podcast. It's in iTunes. It's also at theartofcharmpodcast.com. And if guys are interested in the live training that we do here in LA, just email me. I'm jordan at theartofcharm.com or they can call the office. There's a number right on the top of the website. And uh, yeah, contact us and we'll get in touch. You guys can come out and learn from us in, in LA. If people are like, oh, but I live in Chicago. I've got two de- guys from Denmark, one Australian, a guy from China, and a bunch of Canadians. There's not even anybody here from California. So, you know, committed guys. That's another thing. Committed guys who, who want to learn this stuff, you've got to have that hustle and, and not be like finding excuses. That's really the key to success, I think, for myself is not rationalizing why something won't work and you know trying to find reasons not to do stuff I, I find a lot of unsuccessful people do that yeah totally it's at some point you just got to uh, put up with the or just push past the excuses and uh, make it happen so good stuff Jordan man thanks for the time enjoy the chat and we will talk to you soon all right thank you Boom. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jordan Harbinger of The Art of Charm. As always, feel free to go by grantbaldon.com slash Jordan Harbinger. That's H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R. You can uh, look up the uh, show notes, links, everything that we discussed there. Uh, Also, I'd encourage you to check out the uh, interview I recently did on Jordan's show, Art of Charm. You can go to uh, theartofcharmpodcast.com. It's episode 118. Episode 118? No, no. 318. Jeez, just like at the beginning of the interview, I butchered it and I got fumbled around. Here I am butchering it again. So episode 318 at the artofcharmpodcast.com. So anyway, go look that up. Really good stuff there.
Hey, uh, like I mentioned to you at the top of the show, we are doing a uh, a webinar tomorrow that I would love for you to be a part of, Wednesday, October the 29th. We're doing a, a free speaking webinar. If you are interested in getting into speaking, want to know how to get booked to speak, any of that jazz, we are going to be talking about that, covering all types of just tips and tricks and strategies. Uh, would love to have you there. It's totally free, no strings attached, but you do have to register. So again, you can go to grantbaldo.com slash webinar. Again, that's grantbaldo.com slash webinar. Would absolutely love to have you hang out with us tomorrow. Hey, also, I mentioned to you that we are going to be doing a giveaway this week and this week alone, and it is a doozy, my friends. We're going to be giving away a one-year membership to audible.com. Yes, that is right, my friends. A one-year membership to audible.com. That's $150 value if you were on the price of right, and you'd guessed 150, you'd win. But you don't even have to guess. All you have to do is go to grantbaldo.com slash giveaway. Again, that's grantbaldo.com slash giveaway. You can register to win that. The uh, We're running that until this Friday, so make sure that you register for that. Would love to have you be a part of it. It's going to be a fun little giveaway there. So you can get one audiobook download every single month for an entire year. Christmas has come early to you, my friends. So check that out. Again, you can go to grantbaldo.com slash giveaway. All right, that wraps up episode 49. Thanks for hanging out with us. Look forward to coming at you with even number 50 this Thursday. So we will see you then. Peace.